and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Come with me in the Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you haven't got a Bible or a device, it's on the screen, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and, And picking up Paul's thoughts here to the Corinthian church, who are a bit of a troubled bunch, it would be fair to say. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, it says, I don't write to you these things to shame you. Note that word, to shame you. Um, but in my beloved, as my beloved children, I want to warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the Gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me, he says. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. The Bible is full of exhortations of God the Father, either specifically mentioned as the Father or doing fatherly type things. And so, and and we see that right throughout Scripture. But Paul's saying, sometimes it is easier just to throw instructions rather to engage deeply in life. And he's talking about, among other things, a, a, a binary kind of understanding of, of the way of receiving truth. The Greeks on one hand, no, no, uh, nothing against the Greeks, but they gave us the didactic kind of instructional classroom kind of setting. Uh, line one, two, three, four. The Hebrews, they were way more mosaic. It was an exchange of life. And Paul's saying, and they're both, they're both relevant, depending on the context. Paul's saying, listen, there are 10,000 people that are going to tell you what to do, but there's many fewer that'll actually pour their life out for you. And I'm reminded uh, in, in Luke 15, where we hear the story of the prodigal son. I'll pick that up a little bit later, but uh, where the father, in, in verse 20 of Luke 15, it says, um, the, the boy who'd wasted everything, squandered his inheritance, it says, uh, he actually got up and went to his dad. And while he was still a long way off, and I don't believe that was coincidental, the dad just happened to look at, oh, here's the boy coming. I believe dad was pining. He was, he was pining for his boy. And it says, he saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. As I reflected on uh, the opportunity, the privilege to bring God's Word today to you on this very special day that we celebrate dads. Um, I started to think about my own life and, and here's the thought that I had. I said, I think I've been an okay dad. Like that's, that was, a, I think I've been an okay dad. Um, and, and, and I'll explain that just with three examples of our own kids. Um, Leah, as a young, maybe five-year-old, she she faked sickness so she didn't have to go to school. 
my mother was coming over, her grandmother, and she, she was wise. Leah's, Leah's very much ahead of the game. And so she, she, she got, <coughs> so she was sick. And pick, picking this up pretty early, we realised. And so rather than just let it go through to the keeper, I actually drilled into this. And I said, so you're really, yeah, I'm really sick, Dad. Really, so you can't go, I, I, what, what's wrong? I don't know. I just feel really sick. Five-year-old, dad to five-year-old. She, she, she's a strong-willed, was a strong-willed child, still a strong-willed adult in an amazing way. And, uh, and, so, and so in the end, I said, look, I've got to take you to the hospital because I don't know how, oh, I'm not that sick. Well, I don't know. You've told me you're really sick and they're not. And so we literally got in the car, didn't crack one little bit, drove to the car park of the hospital. By this stage, I'm having a bit of fun, which is really horrible as a dad. She cost a hundreds of dollars therapy, you know, to get over this. So, so I said, you know, I think I know what's wrong. Um, and and a, there's a needle about that big they'll give you when you get into the hospital. Finally, she broke. Horrible dad. I feel bad. Seriously. But I'm trying to teach her a lesson. I got into this thing. This, this is really... And, and, she, and, and, I said, and I said, look, and then she said, no, I'm not really sick. And I said, well, here's the problem. I don't know now whether to believe you or not. <laughs> Bad dad. There was a time early on in our ministry where I'd had a really busy, like a, a week and a half. I'd been out 10 nights and I don't advise that to anyone. That's stu- it's called stupid. The first book is stupid right there. And, uh, and, and my wife and I, as I head out to another meeting, we had an argument. And, uh, and so I headed off down the street, came back a couple of hours later after a board meeting or something, you know, very important. And, uh, and, and my wife met me at the door, not with anything in hand or anything like that. Just, just <laughs> She said, do you want me to tell you what your son did? And again, Ryan was five when you drove off. And I really wanted to say, no, nah, not really, but it, that wasn't the right answer. And she said, as you drove off, he'd painted a little picture for you at preschool and says, look, Daddy, put it up against the window. Look what I did for you. And I broke. Bad Dad. On another occasion, Valerie and I, I think we, we were here or this was previously. Yeah, we, we both went to church and she was leading worship or something and I was preaching and again, very busy. And we got most of our kids but at least we left at home by her alone, home alone. And so after a while, we, after a while, we, we, we realised, hey, where's the lease? You got a lease? No, I got a no. We, ah, we haven't got a lease. Fortunately, we weren't in another country. We were just up the road. Came, Lisa's hooking into the Tim Tam. She's got chocolate all over her face. Bad dad. I want to make a point. So not bad dad, send you to hell type bad, but... But, but the first instinct for me was to think about the mistakes that I'd made as a dad. And I, somehow I don't think I'm alone there. Somehow I don't think I'm alone. Where, where, where we, we resonate with some of the external narrative of the bumbling, dumb, really can't get anything right type image. And when that's coming from outside, it's not so destructive, but when that starts to come from the inside, that can actually be a bit of a problem. And I think that as we, as we think about this one life that we've got, as dads, as mums, as kids, as 
grandparents here. You've got some amazing dads in the church here. You, you know, I think of, I think of the, the, the Blue Swimmer crew um, who are now seasoned veterans at fathering and many of them and grandfather. They call them the Blue Swimmers because that's the colour they go when they swim in winter. Uh, you've got Andrew here and you've got, you've got just so many great dads in the church. And so when I talk about fatherhood, I'm not talking about just your biological. Steve Pierce, I see you there, buddy. Pete, I'm not just talking about your biological kids. We're living in a generation right now that, that, that needs you to, 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 to stand up as a dad, to stand up as someone with a bit of experience, just to take a bit of time, not in a weird way, but just to impart who you are, to, to love on a generation that is coming through. Life is so short. I remember being in the Philippines and uh, my... my uh, my, my, my near-death experience there was I was having a sleep. We'd been ministering and uh, I, I, I took my board shorts off. We'd been for a swim in the afternoon, threw them in the corner and there was a, there was a, there was a knock at the door. And I, I nearly got up and answered the door in an inappropriate state and uh, quickly grabbed my boardies, put them on. But what I didn't realise, a scorpion had got into my shorts and stung me in the upper thigh. And uh, I was delirious for a couple of days. I mean, I'm often delirious, but extra delirious that particular day. And, uh, and it was another a particular occasion I, before I came to Christ. I was, I was drinking heavily. I was driving a motor vehicle and I flipped that car. I should have been killed. I flipped it out near Long Bay Jail, which is probably pretty appropriate at the time. And I, I can remember kind of being suspended. Just the time stood still. As I said, fortunately, I was the only one in the car and there was no one else involved. I was driving way too fast. And, and I remember being suspended from, with the car upside down on my, with my seatbelt and, and, and everything flashed before me. Uh, the, the, life is a hairbreadth. We, we, get, we get not all that long to make a generational difference to actually impart what God, like Paul is saying there, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Uh, God is the God of, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's a three-generational, more than that, but he calls himself a three-generational God. Proverbs 13 verse 22 says, A good man lays up an inheritance to his children's children. God's heart is that we might understand that this life is so short. And as we celebrate you as dads, we don't just do it for the position that you might hold as a dad, as someone that's, get, that, that's been part of uh, create, building a human. Um, that, that's, that, but, it's, but it's the responsibility that we bear. And, and, and that's not just innate. I actually believe that there's an opportunity for us in a sense to boot camp it, to train for that, to actually, to actually lean into God because God does not say, Dads, I want you to stand up and then leave you to your own devices. God's desire is that we might understand what it is that He wants us to do and then how to lean into that. Both Valerie and I, and if you've been around any length of time, if we haven't had a chance to meet, we'll be hanging around after. Come and say hi. Um, but we, uh, you know, some of you have been around for a while, our story. We both got pretty broken backgrounds back in the day. We're first generation believers. And, uh, and, and my story's messed up. Uh, Valerie was, was married as a younger girl. 
she's still quite young, uh, but she was younger then and, uh, and was only married for a couple of years and her husband at the time walked out with someone else. And for a long time, she didn't even know where he was. And uh, she lived up in Brisbane and she was flying with Anset. Um, like a, some of you think, a what? What's a, a what set? They're an airline back in the day, that, that very, one of the early airlines actually, and what would happen is you'd all pedal all together and eventually it would take <laughs> off. And, uh, and they went broke. And, uh, but anyway, my wife worked for Anset, and, and, but she, out of her pain at the time, she bought a little, like a poinciana tree, but a little sapling. And, uh, and in the afternoon, when the sun was starting to set, she'd water that little thing, be quiet in her thoughts, and she would cry. Um, and, and many of you know the pain of, of, of either relationship mess-ups or just mistakes you've made where regret and shame fills your heart. Um, and, I, you know, when I, I, I tell that story, I wish I was there at the time. We, we didn't meet for several years later. Um, and then she moved down from Brisbane to, to Sydney and we met. She took a big punt on me. She'd been a Christian for several years. I was a brand, brand new one. I think I still had my cigarettes in my top pocket. Uh, um, I gave up smoking months ago now, so feeling <laughs> a lot better. Um, but she, but she, she was, then we, we met, we, we started having our kids, we, uh, we engaged in a, in a church together and, and life was fantastic. Our kids started to grow up, youth camp age, 23 years or so later, we're up around that area. I said, do you want to go check out the house you used to live in? And uh, she said, sure, let's do it. So didn't know the number, but knew the street, found the street, turned into the street and, and, and covering not only her place, but the ones on either side was this fully grown poinciana tree. While God was, was blessing her life, even through tears, He was blessing this poinciana tree through the rain that He provided and the sunshine that He provided. And I want it to be a metaphor for you that your future in no way needs to be built around what mistakes that you made in the past. Your past will not in any way, doesn't have to limit what God has got for you in your life or even generationally. Trees are right through Scripture. The whole story starts in a garden around some trees. Uh, it, it, actually, it actually finds its pinnacle where the Saviour of the world hung on a tree, aka a cross. And then it finishes with a beautiful crystal clear uh, stream where there are trees on each side of that stream and the leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations. You know, there are pivotal moments where there's a reckoning. And I think as, as, uh, um, as Scott said earlier on, around communion, it was beautiful too, uh, buddy. I just think that the rituals can really help to lay that up. And, uh, and when we think about moments like Father's Day and Mother's Day and, and obviously Christmas and Easter, it gives us an opportunity. See, in the Bible, there's a couple of words for time. There's the word chronos, which is the ticking of the Apple Watch or whatever type time. Then there's kairos, which is an opportune moment. There's genia, genios, which is generations. There's aenios, which is eternity. And so in the midst of time, as we, as we have our hearts open to what it is that God would speak to us, 
then, then, then we can be open to a Kairos moment, like a God moment. And that's what I've come believing. That's what I was praying for at 2.04, that I'd say it was 2.04 this morning. How spiritual am I? Bloomin' dog. You want a dog? Doesn't shed. Cavoodle. Very good. 11 years, back legs aren't as good as they once were, but who's are? Um, I believe there's a Kairos moment for many people here. You know, uh, there was a movie back a couple of decades ago, and I'm loath always to recommend movies because I can't actually remember what was in it. I think it might be even a bit sketchy, so don't go watch it. But this, the sense has become a colloquial term. But the movie was called Sliding Doors. And uh, the, the premise was that, that there was this young, young woman, young married lady who left work just a bit early, just, just got there as the train was, 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 was pulling out, dived onto the train and the doors shut behind her. She got home a little bit earlier than she had thought and caught her husband in the middle of an affair. And then they, they tracked that trajectory of her life. Well, well, it kept flashing back to the notion that maybe she was delayed at work, she was, and then she missed the doors and it showed her trajectory in that sense. And, 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 and there are sliding doors moments. There, that, that one that, that, I, that I let my son down at, as a five-year-old and, uh, and his therapy is going well as well. But uh, um, that was a I remember, you know, hitting the deck and crying my eyes out as I thought, you idiot, Pastor Michael. Who do you think you are? Your little boy just wants a little bit of time and you're off to another meeting. Now, meetings aren't bad, but it was just this, this I, I, I had fallen in love with the ministry, quite frankly. It wasn't when I was here. Um, oh, I'm not saying I didn't do that at times here. Because you get reflective, you know. And like I said, my default when I thought about it was, oh, man, man that mistake, that mistake. And if you're a dad, that, that's kind of a dad thing. But I, I, want, I want you to lift your eyes and to see the amazing smile of God over your life as a father or a father figure. God is the perfect dad and he wants to impart to you that kind of spirit on your life. Um, uh, Horizon Church needs hundreds of dads or dad-like figures in order to rise up for this generation. And you'll be all sorts of shapes and sizes, all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of personalities. But today is a day when we need to take that really seriously. In Genesis 1, we see God operating in a father-like way, though he's not called father at this point in time. It doesn't come in till, till Exodus, but um, in Genesis 1.11, we see him creating the grass and the herbs um, and, uh, and, and the, the, the birds and the, and the fish and then the animals. He's in that creative mode. In the beginning, God created. And then in Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, his peace to resistance. So God creates and then starts to command. He says, and encourage and exhort. He said, I want you to go and be fruitful and multiply. He says, have dominion. So he was imparting his authority in that regard. So right at the end of the Old Testament, so that's the very start of the Old Testament, 
we again see this fatherhood priority coming out. In, in Malachi, if you're Italian, Malachi. <laughs> you want to say Malachi? Yeah, the book of Malachi, right at the back there. Um, in, in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you, right at the end of the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children, children's hearts to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a priority to God, this fathering spirit. And then the very first chapter of the New Testament in Matthew, we, we see, uh, you know, so-and-so beget so-and-so, beget, 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 beget. They're begetting all over the place. So again, the very intrinsic nature of that is a spirit of fathering. God, God, is, God is a father and a perfect father. And again, for those of you that didn't have a father that was perfect or nothing like it, in fact, as I said before, either not around for you or abusive, um, he, he is the perfect example in that regard. Um, I talked about the father who ran and uh, the, the, the father of the prodigal son. And uh, he had two boys and they were both lost. One was lost in the world. The other was lost in the church. Let me explain. One was, one was, one was said, Dad, give me my inheritance, which is akin to him saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. And I don't think he had it necessarily in the bank. He probably had to break up some property and so forth. It was a major deal. And then the other son, who on the surface looked like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but he was, he, he'd become so fossilised with the religion of just going through the motion and serving his dad with a stinking attitude. So he was lost religiously and the son was lost out there um, in, in, the, in the world. Um, the younger son... It's not, it wasn't about money, it was about control. And so we see this story that starts to take shape as, as God then takes this younger son to a boot camp. And uh, while the money was there and the drinks were flowing and the party was going on, there was party friends everywhere. But when, when the money ran out, they split and he found himself all alone. Now again, what he'd done he squanders his, his father's inheritance. Now again, fathering and inheritance in the Jewish culture was right up there. Shame in the Jewish culture was incredibly important not to have that. So there was, it was a very appropriate culture. And, and so this boy squanders his inheritance, not just with anyone, but with Gentiles outside of the whole Jewish deal. And, and so much so that he, he ended up sitting feeding pigs, not all that kosher for a young Jewish kid. Um, we, we, see, we see the dad and he does the most unusual thing. Now to us, um, if, you, if you saw your son coming who'd been estranged and, and you did something crazy, you would kind of expect it. But, but back, back in the day, the, the, the thing that Jewish dads, adult men never did was expose their legs. You might say, well, Pastor Michael's just been, I don't know, he's just been away from just the church for too long and he's gone to, pat, you know, man, his credibility is really in question right now. I don't care. But this guy, 
This guy was prepared because they, they wore a, a dressing gown kind of deal, a robe. They had to tuck it in in order to not trip themselves up. So he's there. He sees his boy and he starts to run. He starts to run. And he runs to his boy and throws his arms around his boy's neck. He's, what he's saying, I, I could give a rip about my my shame. I'm prepared to totally shame my reputation because of my love for my boy. He, he, he threw his identity, if you like, or his character in the eyes of those around him. He, he, he threw it out. When I was pastoring, we had the privilege of leading this church. Um, they, they used to do boot camps and, you know, I'd be in fits and starts. Anyone been to a, a Cronulla Beach or a Wanda Beach boot camp at any stage? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I see that hand. Is there another? <laughs> I had a few fits and starts, but they were more fits than starts. But anyway, I did, I did, there was a boot camp. And the idea is you'd, you'd really go hard for like a couple of weeks, three weeks or a month or something like that. And it was stupid. To, it was, you know, God wasn't even up when you got up in the morning, right? And... <laughs> It was just, and you'd go down the beach and, and, and you'd run and you'd, you'd, you know, carry weights and whatever you. Um, but there's a, there a boot camp. And at the end of it, with that intensity, it would really make a difference in your fitness. And then the idea was that then you'd get into a routine or a ritual, which I kind of never did. <laughs> Until next time, I was like, got to do that boot camp again. So two boot camps and a whole lot of cream buns in between and uh, it was a happy existence. In terms of fathering, I, I believe there's, a, there's almost a, a, a boot camp fight club type deal. And just for the last few moments that I have, I want to just talk to you from the Scripture about some thoughts that, that I felt like God impart to me for, for not just the dads, for everyone, but I'm particularly talking to the dads and the dad-like figures here. I mentioned before in Genesis 1, so much happens there. Um, when, 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 when darkness was on the face of the deep and there was without form and void, the Bible says God said, let there be light. I think one of the things that we, we need to understand as, as dads, as parents, the power of our words. You know, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 3, it says, God, God framed the world with His words. And you and I frame our world with our words as well. God's heart is that we... we in fact, the, the problem for Eve, she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, now think about the title of that tree. It wasn't just that the tree was, um, don't touch that one, um, but, but it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was, the, it was God's domain. God says you can have all of the other trees. There are mangoes as, as, uh, as big as watermelons. Just rip it open and, and hook your face into that. Just, ah, you know, like you can have all the fruit of all the trees. Just don't touch that one tree because that's my domain is what he was saying. I am the one that, that decides what is good and what is evil. And of course, Adam and Eve said, thank you. We will take that responsibility to ourselves and the rest, they, as they say, is history. 
When mankind elevated the culture of the day or prevailing political narrative higher than God's word and God's standard, a whole lot of knock-on situations happen. And, And I just wanna say, fathers here, you have an awesome opportunity to, to, to speak words of life, to not let, not let your emotions, not, not bring God's Word down to the level of your emotions, but to, to get a rigour and bring your, your emotions up to the level of the Word of God. To, to, to understand that wisdom, wisdom is so very powerful, but it actually starts with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we take on God's Word. We have a high view of Scripture. So rather than contextualising everything of God's Word around what's going on, we actually have a high view of Scripture. Your words carry power. Your words create a world for you and those close to you. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, we, we read here, out of the ground, God made uh, every tree that is pleasant to the sight. I want you to note this order, and good for food. Pleasant to the sight and good for food. There's an order there. I believe a very distinct order. And you might say, well, you're getting a bit pedantic. I don't believe any word is accidental in Scripture. And the order of that is the, the, the trees were pleasant to look at and they were good for food. So consecration preceded consumption. Worship preceded work. And and yet when Eve, in the next chapter, referred to that same thing, she said, aha, I noticed that the the trees are good for food and pleasant to the sight. She flipped the order of those things. You say, what are the implications of that? Uh, the priority of worship can be lost in the busyness of us earning a living. And, and, and you say, well, I can't even sing. I'm not talking about you there uh, with, 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 you know, recording of Karen and, and Horizon Music in the background and you're having to do a three-part harmony. It's what I do. I don't necessarily sing every morning, but pretty much every morning I'll, I'll do a couple of worships. I'll, go, I'll have a couple of worship songs. And I just still my heart in that moment. Dad, sir, mum, as you fill your heart with the sense of God's presence, it will have an incredible impact on those that you are called to reach. The prize of your work, number three, the prize of your work. Your work is a gift from God. And, and the Bible says that the Lord God took man in and put him in the garden uh, to work it and to take care of it. Um, and then, and then in, obviously once they fell, in chapter 3, verse 17, it says, cursed basically will be the ground. Many of us are living like we're still under that curse. Whereas, whereas my Bible in, in Galatians chapter 3, 13 says that, 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 that He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Uh, about four weeks ago, I woke up in the morning and I'd been out actually celebrating Elisa's birthday. If she's watching online, uh, hey, sweetie, over in the US. Um, but but she was, we're out on a, on a boat, a sailing boat. And I said to the captain, I said, where's the, where's the spinnaker? He said, oh, it's packed away at the front. And then I woke up with this thought. And, and the, the thought was, it's spinnaker time. That, that so many of us, you can cop such adverse 
wins, that you actually even forget the fact that the favour of God is on your work and that there's a tailwind that's coming. And I want to speak over your business. I want to speak over your work right now that notwithstanding all of the stuff that's been going on, I want to speak over you that word God put in my heart. It's spinnaker time. It's spinnaker time. The power of our words, the, 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 the prize of our work, and then finally, the price of our worth. Singers and musicians, you can come. I buried a dear friend, 52. He was an intern of mine at Hillsong many, many years ago and he was the campus pastor of this amazing church, got a couple of teenage kids. Dropped dead of a a blown out artery between his heart and his spleen and uh, over in the US. So Val and I flew over and I had the privilege of taking uh, part in the funeral. And, uh, and, And on the day, on the day, on the Sunday before the celebration of his life, they were worshipping to a song called Hallways. And, and the song goes something like this. It says, God, remind me that, that this is not my destination, that life is a hallway. And so during that worship moment, I saw like this hallway. And at the end of the hallway were this big hunking, like three-storey medieval doors. And as Anthony, Pastor Anthony, my friend, who thought he might've been way down there, in terms of the hallway. He didn't realise he was right up against those doors. And as he breathed his last on earth, this is what I saw in my mind's eye, and the doors flung open, there was like a radiance of light that almost knocked him off his feet. And the very next breath he breathed was the atmosphere of heaven. None of us know exactly where we're at in that hallway. I don't know. And, And along that hallway, there's... There's, there's a couple of doors and a, and a shaft of light um, coming through. And, and one that I want to draw your attention to is, 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 the, is the door of identity. You, you, are, you are designed to be Christ's. You are Christ's. And yet so often, and, and honestly, I, I can relate to this and I share this with pastors all over the world. Probably the first, and probably some of the time I was here, the first 15 or 20 years, my life, even as a pastor, I was racked with insecurity. And, and, and the enemy would constantly try and undermine. And given our, our rugged background, they would, these things would come up again. Some of the mistakes I'd made and the people I'd hurt back in the day. And, and, and so I was confronted with that continually. And I'm not saying that for pity, I'm just saying, being really honest. But I, I know that I'm not the only one and one of the things that the enemy would try and use was shame, shame. And he'd try and prevent, use that shame to prevent me to come from coming into the presence of God. I mentioned the dad who ran to his son. And the reason he ran, absolutely, was that the son, the dad loved the son. But most commentators agree there was another reason. See, because he'd trashed his dad's inheritance, there's a thing called the Kazaza ceremony. And the, and the men of that village would go and they would surround the boy. And, and they would say, you have squandered, dad wasn't welcome. And they'd run to get there first. And, and they'd say, you've squandered your dad's inheritance amongst, amongst Gentiles. You are cut off from us. They would take a pot 
and they'd smash the pot and they'd take the, the shards and they'd say, you're cut off, shame on you. Many would agree that the father ran to get ahead of the villagers in order to exhibit publicly the reconciliation between him and his son in order to undercut the shame ceremony of those villagers if they got to him first. Friend, it's exactly what God the Father did for us. He sent Jesus to the cross to get there before the enemy's shame ceremony in order to take our shame, our sin, our sickness upon the cross. So you as a dad, you as a mum, you as a single person, you as a grandparent, you as a little guy or girl can walk with your head held high, knowing that you are a son of your Father in Heaven, a son of the Most High God. Can we give God praise for that this morning? Here's what I'd love to do, just for, take a moment. There's so many faces I don't know here. And I'm not even gonna assume that if you've been walking this distance, this road for some time, that all is well with your soul. It's been a crazy season. And I don't need to be a prophet to know that there'd be some here and, and you struggle with a sense, a sense of the worth of God. Like it's, you struggle with an identity issue. You struggle with insecurity. You struggle with shame. And I wanna, I wanna say to you today, shame off you because of what God has done. If you're bumping along the bottom spiritually, either here in the room or online, today's a day to get your life right with God. Here's what we're gonna do. Just, I wanna take a moment to do this. It's, I'm gonna get you to close your eyes right across the house and, and in the, online as well, unless you're watching in the car. Just saying. I'm gonna simply count to three. And when I hit three, you say, Michael, pray for me. I need to get my life right with Christ. I need to acknowledge afresh what He has done for me and receive forgiveness of my sin. If that's you, when I hit three, right across the building and online as well, I want you to confidently lift your hand up in the air, just long enough and high enough for me to see it. And then we're gonna do some business with God. Cool? Here we go. One, Jesus Christ died for you and I on that cross that we might have life, that we might be forgiven, that, that He might deal with our shame too. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. When you hear His voice, don't harden your heart, but respond to Him. With every eye closed and every head bowed, you say, Michael, you're talking to me. I need to get my life right with Jesus today. If that's you right now, and you're saying, Michael, pray for me, include me in this prayer. I wanna get my life right with Him. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you right now, let me see your hand lifted up all over the house. Three, lift it up. God bless you, buddy. Who else? If that's you, just give me a wave. Just long enough and high. Thank you over there. Thank you over there. God bless you. Thanks, mate. Who else? If that's you right now, let's do some business with God. Thanks, mate. Up the, up the back there. God bless you, buddy. Who else? If that's you. I'm just gonna look across the congregation one more time. If you haven't raised your hand, but you want to, lift it up, friend. He's there for you. He's there for you. Horizon, can we just thank God for each of those people? Come on. Let's all pray this prayer.
just before I hand it back over. Let's all, particularly those of you that raised your hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to You right now in the Name of Your Son, Jesus. I acknowledge my need of You. From my heart, with my mouth, I confess You as my Saviour and my Lord. And with the help of Your Holy Spirit, I want to live every day to please You. In Jesus' Name, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Thank you for receiving the Word. Happy Father's Day, Dads. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.